This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivalet. Welcome to Abrupt Future. This week, we talk about virtual reality and the future of learning. I have with me Imran Muna, the co-founder of InStage, a company who develops a virtual reality software to rapidly improve soft skills. So first of all, Imran, thank you for joining and thank you so much for being here. No problem, Edmar. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So when I speak with Uh, people who lead uh, companies, I always like to ask the, the backstory because I found that every, especially startups and scale-up, have always an interesting background. It sounds like these companies emerged to solve a problem, something that didn't make sense and that needed a solution. So I'm curious to hear your story. Sure. I'd love to tell that story, Benma. Thank you for asking. InStage started about three and a half, almost four years ago now. And let me tell you a bit about my background first and what got me interested in using virtual reality in this way. Uh, I'm a graduate of the engineering program at Queen's University, and I have a mechanical engineering degree from that school. But I've always been interested in public speaking and performance. And so while I was there, I was in a lot of plays, actually, and I was constantly on stage giving presentations, uh, finding different ways to basically public speak in, in a couple different contexts. And so I had this passion for engineering, and I also had a passion for performance. I didn't really see an opportunity to bring those two things together until I met the rest of my co-founding team. I met Michael and Nicole, my co-founders, Nicole McLean and Michael Cayley, just about three and a half, four years ago, as I was saying. And Michael was trying to help Nicole solve a problem. Nicole, unlike me, really didn't like public speaking. She had just finished a 10-year career in corporate training, and she had recently left her job when we started this company. And she was worrying about what her next steps were going to be as someone who liked being in front of people, but was always nervous to do so. And so what she would end up doing was she would have to practice for presentations, pacing back and forth in her living room or trying to convince her, you know, her husband or her dog to listen to her practice. And it caused her a lot of stress and anxiety. And thankfully at that time, Michael had just started to learn a bit about what virtual reality was capable of. And he saw it as an opportunity to build something for Nicole to help her practice for these difficult opportunities to speak in her life. And that's when I joined the team was early on at that point, we tried to develop something to help Nicole. And it wasn't long before we built something that she could actually use to practice. Uh, we use a very high quality virtual reality headset to immerse people in ultra believable experiences. And Nicole was the first person that we actually put into one of our in-stage simulations. And once we realized it could help her develop confidence in her ability to share her thoughts and ideas, we really started to hit the ground running. We started to take this technology to high schools and we saw students start to develop the same kind of confidence Nicole was developing so much later in her career. And that really struck a chord with us. We realized that a lot of students end up having this, you know, not necessarily just a fear of public speaking, but this lack of ability to develop the skills they need to be successful in the workplace. And those really come down to the soft skills that you need to effectively communicate, to have conversations that are meaningful, to effectively leave a team meeting. And that's what we started using this technology for, is to help students develop the skills they need to 
get the jobs they want and then be successful in the workplace once they get them. And I guess also at this point, the VR technology was getting a much better, right? Because I recall in the 90s and early 2000s, the concept was there. There were some demo, but it sounds like in the last few years, it got to a whole new level of maturity. Absolutely. If if you had had a chance to try virtual reality in the 90s, I think you could see that it was going to become something powerful. But today, it, it is really reaching some of its highest value. Uh, the way I like to describe virtual reality to people who haven't tried it before is that when you put on a high quality virtual reality headset, you can almost forget where you are and instead feel like you're in an entirely different place. And so the the main interest in VR right now is in the gaming industry because it's an incredibly immersive experience. But like you said, it's becoming more and more obvious how important VR is going to be in the training space and the education space because we can immerse people in experiences that they don't often get a chance to go through until it's real life. And so we can prepare them much more effectively and in a much more safe environment for some of the things that uh, we really want them to be successful at the first time they go through it, especially something like a job interview. And can you give us an example of what's the experience? How does it work going through that virtual training or learning? Sure. The way it works for us is if anyone listening has had a chance to put on a VR headset, you get the sense very quickly once you've put it on that you are in a different environment. And so that's what we make use of with InStage. We create simulations using virtual reality software so that once you put on the headset, you'll feel like you're standing on stage or in a boardroom about to give a presentation. And once you're in that setting, we've designed these environments to be interactive. And so you'll be talking to characters in these spaces or giving presentations to an audience and watching as the characters nod along with what you're saying, potentially laugh at your jokes or ask you questions. Uh, and in that way, have a realistic experience to help you practice for what it might be like when you actually stand on stage in front of a room full of strangers or sit in a boardroom across the table from your potential future employer. Uh, what's interesting about that, I'll just add on to that, Benoit, is that what VR makes possible is the ability to collect some really incredible data about how you perform under those conditions. And so we can tell people some things they may have not known about themselves once they go through one of our simulations. Things like what percentage of the time they made eye contact with people or how many times they say words like um when they're presenting. And that sort of objective feedback is really meaningful to the people we work with because suddenly they have a number to tie to their progress and they can start to track that as they continue to practice. What about the other avatar or character that would that you would see in the simulation? Are you using some form of AI to make them more realistic? In terms of the characters in the simulation, Instead is designed as a two-person experience. And so typically we have at least two people working together, one person in the VR headset going through the experience, and a second person that acts as the host of the experience. And that person is responsible for a couple different things. They can not only control the characters that you mentioned and have them respond positively or negatively to the person practicing just to give them a different sense of what it might be like in different situations. They can also control some of the other aspects of the experience, like what kind of questions the person gets asked, other elements that make a situation like that a little bit more difficult in real life. And so that's that's how we control the characters for the most part is using another person right now. There is some artificial intelligence involved in it. If you don't make eye contact with someone, for instance, 
they as a character will start to feel a bit left out of the conversation and they'll stop looking at you. And oftentimes that's something that throws a lot of people off. They feel like these characters aren't listening to them. And that can happen in real life if you don't make eye contact with someone in the room. And it's something we want to make sure that they're aware of. So you're mentioning the feedback, the analytics on your own performance. Are there other benefits also that you see in terms of using VR as a way of learning? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest benefits of using virtual reality is that it feels real, uh, but of course it isn't. And so that makes it the ideal environment to make mistakes. For a lot of people that are practicing in our simulations, they're nervous about a big day or a big presentation or a big opportunity. And until now, they've often just had to go through that experience and learn some of the lessons afterwards. And many times it means that they miss out on that opportunity altogether because they end up being too nervous to even take it. And so now with virtual reality, what we can do is we can expose them to what it will be like so they can build their confidence. Uh, that's a massive benefit of virtual reality, in my opinion, is the opportunity to practice much more realistically for some of these experiences than you've ever been able to before. A lot of people, maybe you yourself, have actually had to practice for an interview or presentation in your head or in front of the mirror, or maybe you've been able to convince some friends to listen to you practice. And the problem with that is that it doesn't feel real. And when the day comes to actually stand on stage or uh, be in a boardroom, you don't feel like you've actually prepared yourself for that because it's the first time you're standing in front of these new people. And we can get you very close to feeling that in virtual reality. Uh, in terms of the analytics we can collect, we're using IBM's Watson to do a lot of our uh, speech-to-text analytics. And that tells people things that many times they can't get feedback on. If you are someone lucky enough to convince friends to listen to you practice, it's unlikely they'll tell you the kind of things you need to hear to improve because they won't want to hurt your feelings. Or it might just be difficult for them to count how many times you say, um, in a presentation. But we can do that very effectively and tell you some of those metrics so that you can start to track it on the reports we provide and see yourself improve. And in that way, again, just build your sense of confidence. So I'm, I'm thinking that it's almost a accelerator. I don't know if there are any um, studies on that, but it sounds like going through that is probably equivalent to hours of coaching from a, a real professional. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you said that. We've seen a number of case studies come out in the past few years uh, from companies like Intel, Deloitte, Walmart, all companies using virtual reality to train their employees faster and more effectively. The incredible thing about virtual reality, again, is because it's an immersive experience, the retention rates of the things you learn in virtual reality are much higher than if you learned them in a lecture setting, for instance, or you had to listen to them or read about them. And so for many of the studies we've seen, the retention rates in virtual reality are up to seven and a half times greater than learning in another form, a less immersive form. And where is the marketplace on that maturity curve? Because I work with a lot of HR professionals, corporate trainers. They know the idea is there. They know the technology. Yet I rarely see, I've seen a couple, but I rarely see a lot of clients having a formal VR stream in their learning environment. So I'm curious to see from your perspective, have you seen any companies more mature or certain industries that have been jumping in that bandwagon already? Yes, we've worked with a number of Fortune 500 companies over the past few years, uh, primarily helping uh, in onboarding. So helping to, uh, new employees to learn the skills they need to get ready for their jobs and in sales. A lot of the companies we've worked with have used virtual reality to help their sales em employees improve their ability to navigate customer objections. 
or to help employees practice having difficult conversations. And some of those have included conversations around giving feedback or conversations around asking for a raise, you know, things that are important to employees, but are again, something difficult to practice. And so we have seen companies make use of VR to prepare their employees for those types of uh, conversations. We've also seen a massive uptake of virtual reality in recent years in the post-secondary sector. So working with a lot of colleges and universities over the past few years, we've seen how valuable this technology has been to educators and students, especially students who are looking to get jobs. Uh, We've actually helped a number of students practice for their first job interviews and seen them go ahead and get those jobs because they felt more prepared. Uh, A lot of the students we work with are extremely capable, uh, full of potential, but they've never had the chance to sit in an interview before. And so they struggle with that opportunity because they don't know how to talk about themselves because they haven't done it often enough. And suddenly VR can give them that opportunity. They can practice for an interview time and time again before they actually step foot in the room. Uh, and suddenly that first interview now feels like their 50th interview. And so it, uh, it goes very differently for them. And so the big market for us is definitely working with students, uh, though we have seen some great use cases in the corporate setting as well. And that's admirable because on the one hand, if we look at the evolution of skills that are in demand from, well, virtually any industry, communication skills are certainly important. I mean, there are so many things that computers can do better than us, but we always appreciate somebody who knows how to express himself or herself. On the other hand, we all know that if somebody is not really comfortable communicating, we might be missing on the potential, the innovation, the idea of that person. So by giving that person a chance, we're equipping him or her better for the marketplace with skills that are in demand and they can show more of their potential rather than triggering some kind of biases that we have that if somebody is nervous it's because the person is incompetent while the reason could be that no he's just nervous in public yeah you could still be talking to a Nobel prize you know exactly uh, i like the way you think benoit that's exactly what we think and <laughs> you might like to know we actually watched an incredible keynote presentation recently uh, by jeff weiner the very recent uh, ceo of linkedin and He brought up a point I think that would really resonate with you just based on what you're saying there. He was asking the audience what they think uh, the most valuable skills in the future of the workplace are going to be. And a lot of the people said technical skills like coding. They talked about exactly what you're saying, things like AI, things like uh, machine learning, blockchain, and some of the hot button topics in the technology space. But he said that, of course, LinkedIn has a massive amount of data on what employers are looking for and what potential employees are talking about as their skill sets. And he said the gap that he's noticed, the biggest skills gap is in soft skills and people's ability to communicate effectively. And so coming from someone like him, it's extremely meaningful to us to be able to help on that front. And I think uh, do exactly what you're talking about, give people that ability to confidently share their skills. We've met so many students that are exactly in the position you're talking about. And I often think of it as a two-sided problem. We really have met students that could go on to win Nobel Prizes, be our future astronauts, lawyers, doctors, artists, but they just haven't had the opportunity yet to talk about those skills. And the way I look at it is if they don't go for those jobs or they don't go to those interviews even, of course, it's a terrible loss for them because they're missing out on the opportunity. But it's also a terrible loss for everyone who would have benefited from them being in that role. Like you said, that could be a Nobel Prize winner that's just extremely competent, but just not confident 
enough to share their ideas and suddenly the rest of the world is missing out on what they could have shared had they just been able to build that confidence up a little more before they had their opportunity to shine. And I'm thinking of another benefit right now. And I'm sure you've been through a lot of terrible presentation. It's painful to be on the other side of a bad speaker. Again, it could be a Nobel Prize, but you know, for me to spend more than 15 minutes not multitasking, only listening to one person, it better be interesting from a content and a delivery perspective, right? So that's another reason I think that this is a great uh, advance. I think so too. And I think What's interesting is that when you when you put it in that perspective, a lot of people feel like the audience is against them, you know, is waiting for them to make a mistake, but the audience wants you to do well. Like you're saying, right? We we want to be captivated by what people are saying. And when you think of the audience as being on your side, I think that's just the added incentive to make sure that you are prepared to give them a great experience and that really just comes around to practice. How do you practice? How often do you practice? And Without a meaningful way to practice, I think that's what's really caused people to struggle with this skill set. We were actually in New York at the end of last year at the NBPA talking to the media team for many of the professional NBA players about how high risk it is for them to give speeches. Because as you can imagine, that's a group of people that takes practice very seriously. And they're uh, obviously the best in the world at what they do. But when it comes time for them to stand in front of the press, that's not something that they have practiced to the same degree as their athletics. And so for them, if they say the wrong thing on TV or in the in any sort of media form, uh, it can be the end of their careers. And so they were talking about how these professional athletes need the same kind of training. They need an opportunity to practice their soft skills as well so that they can make the most of the opportunities they've worked so hard for. And it's just interesting to see how this skill set has been something that high school students all the way up to people at the peak of their careers are struggling to develop. And we're just excited to be part of a new solution for a problem I think a lot of people have been looking for a, a new way to solve. I was also curious to ask you as, you, as you look at the rest of the industry and other companies who develop a VR solution, as well as your own evolution in, in the industry, do you see other application of VR, whether it's soft scale, hard scales, or other type of learning that might be better served by VR than by traditional learning methods? Yes, absolutely. I think uh, the anchor points for what's going to end up shifting different types of experiences into VR is going to be primarily based on cost and danger. Um, so anything that's a dangerous skill to develop, things like a safety training or you know firefighter training, surgeries for uh, medical professionals, anything like that that has a high risk involved with it. If there's a way to effectively simulate that in VR, and I've personally seen a number of innovations in those areas over the past few years, I think that's going to be something that becomes very attractive to people and those uh, that are looking to build those skills. Uh, the other thing is I think that things that are expensive to learn, things like if you're a uh, in the mining industry, and you've ever seen some of the trucks that are involved in uh, a mining mm. operation. I've had a number of friends who've actually worked at some of these mines in Fort McMurray, and uh, I've seen pictures of them standing in the tires of these trucks. They're as big as houses, and it's part of their training to learn how to drive these trucks. But one mistake in a truck like that um, is extremely high risk and extremely expensive. And so that sort of training is something that's now being done in VR. Uh, of course, it's not exactly new, but it's becoming more and more possible for new skills to be learned in VR. Something like uh, 
a flight simulator, for instance, has been around for a long time, and it's sort of the industry standard for pilots. But now I think many more things are going to shift into uh, the VR space, at least as a first step to learning some of these high risk, high expense skills. And I think that's exciting as well, because I think that's going to make it more accessible to a lot of people who are interested in those fields that uh, may not have had an opportunity to try their hand at it uh, prior to the learning methods becoming a little bit more accessible, a little bit cheaper, and a little bit less dangerous. And do you see cases where you think actually VR would not be the first method to use, right? Because when we have a new technology, we, we tend to expand it across the whole sector, the whole industry, the whole field. But are there cases where you think that other method would actually be good and keeping VR for certain use case? A tricky question for me to answer, Ben. Well, I think <laughs> VR is the answer to everything, but <laughs> no, it could be the case. No, 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 I think, of course, it's interesting, actually, the goal of InStage, for instance, is that people eventually don't need to use VR, right? That they develop the confidence to actually go and give these presentations in real life. And so I think it is important to keep in mind that virtual reality will be a safe place to practice, but that there is a real life application that we're trying to help people develop in VR. So nothing comes to the top of my mind as bad idea to practice in VR, but I do think it's important that that practice gets applied to, to the real world especially for a company like ours, we, we don't want to see people staying in VR. We want to see people getting the jobs of their dreams. We want to see people standing on stage, sharing their potentially Nobel Prize winning ideas. And I think VR will be the perfect practice field to develop those skills. But I do think that they need to translate into real world skills uh, once that practice is um, once that practice has been done. Since the start of the COVID-19 crisis, have you heard about more client or people interested in it? Is there more consideration from it? Because I think with the remote connectivity, you could be on a VR set, not necessarily in a specific place to, to use it. So is there a renewed interest in this type of technology? I think there's definitely a new interest in it. I feel like that was going to happen in the next few years anyways, but suddenly with so many people forced to lose contact with each other and work remotely, uh, we've certainly had a lot more interest in what VR is currently capable of. And th that's exciting in one sense. Of course, the circumstances are not ideal. I, I wouldn't I'd have chosen to have uh, the interest in VR increase uh, because of a scenario like this. But uh, what is uh, heartening is, of course, that I do see VR as a solution to many of the learning challenges that companies and students are facing right now. Uh, I can only imagine what it would be like to be in school at this point and not be able to, you know, have my friends next to me trying to help me figure out uh, a solution to a problem or have the teacher in the room to ask questions. And uh, we've actually begun running a number of online workshops using VR to show people what it's like to be in different scenarios. And I think that opportunity is really starting to catch people's attention. VR is an incredibly immersive experience if you're the one in the headset, but there is a new benefit that we've seen uh, over these past few months, and that's using virtual reality as an observational learning experience. And you can learn a lot by, of course, watching someone else go through something, uh, learn by doing, watch and learn type scenario. Of course, that's how we learn many of the skills I think a lot of us have to develop over the course of our life. And suddenly VR is a medium to to give people that opportunity. If you watch someone go through a VR experience, suddenly you can take some notes on things they did well or things you might want to avoid without having been in that experience yourself. And as soon as this situation has changed and we're able to get back to a bit more of uh, what used to be normal, I think people will now again turn to virtual reality as 
not just uh, a way to replace some of the learning that's been lost over this stretch, but a new way to learn. And it's almost like a form of immersive collaboration, right? If you can start exchanging with people, learning by doing, it's it's bringing the whole video conference to a whole new level. Yes, I've definitely seen some applications built around that, around feeling like you're in the same space. And they are they are interesting. I, I'm curious to see how quickly those develop and what people use them for. Right now, I've seen a couple applications of uh, VR team meetings, and they're definitely a lot of fun. So have you ever had a chance to try one of those yet? No, no, no. But I'm super curious too. Yeah. If you do get a chance, they're worth checking out. I think the only thing holding people back from doing that right now is access to a VR headset. But this has obviously, I think, accelerated, like you said, the interest in this technology. And uh, we've already seen a number of new VR headsets being advertised that are uh, much less expensive than previous headsets, much easier to use. And I think in the next couple of years, as that hits sort of critical mass and people are able to get a VR headset the way the way they are a laptop or something similar, uh, we're going to see a lot more people making use of those kind of uh, tools. And that makes sense because when you think of it, everybody has a high-speed Wi-Fi connection. We all have laptops and phones, uh, some wearable already, and iPads. So the headset would be just another piece in our personal computing stack. And as the price will go down and it will standardize, like it's a future where it's a lot more usual to meet somebody in VR or do a VR training. And that, yes. that's something being completely, you know, out of the ordinary. Absolutely. And I think in the next few years, we can actually be hopeful about the idea that our phones might be able to provide that experience. Right now, that's a bit of a, a differentiator in VR experiences, whether you're using phone-based VR or a standalone headset. Uh, they're not they're not the same experience currently. But I think in the near future, uh, with the right type of engineering, a phone will be able to provide an extremely believable VR experience and suddenly packed right into your phone will be the, the ability to join a virtual meeting, like you're saying, or go on a virtual vacation, uh, something like that. And it'll be a, a whole new a whole new thing to be working with. I'm still waiting for a virtual drink, though, but I guess yes. <laughs> a few more generations before we get there. <laughs> you and the rest of our team, for sure. <laughs> and um, can you also share what else you are working on at InStage or if you're you know, mostly focused on the current scenarios and experience you're creating, but when you look at the future, do you have any other plans or aspiration for uh, the technology and the company that you could share with us? Sure. I mean, since day one, InSage has been lucky enough to have found a focus that we're passionate about, and that was developing people's communication skills. We've ref we've refined that to soft skills uh, because we believe there's a lot of other benefit to practicing in a VR environment that will help you uh, with the other soft skills you need to be successful in a personal and professional capacity. And so future looking for us, InStage is really aiming to be the gold standard of soft skills training. Uh, we see VR as a future learning tool that is exciting and fun to use. And we want to reach as many students right now as possible to help them prepare for the workplace. Uh, we know it's top of mind for many new graduates. You know, what are they going to do uh, for work? How are they going to prepare for job interviews? What does the future of the workplace look like? And I think VR is going to play a role in that. And I think we're going to be able to play a big role in that as well. And so what we're constantly doing is increasing the believability of our experiences, 
expanding the library of simulations that people are able to go through and continuously trying to expose this technology to more people. That is a, a an interesting part about working in this space right now is that more people than ever have heard of virtual reality at this point, Benoit, but many people have still never tried VR at all. And that's that's always a treat in a way for us when we get to show people their first VR experience. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that story about when they opened one of the first movie theaters and they played a they played a movie of a train coming towards the screen and the audience got out of their seats because they thought the train was actually coming towards them. They had never seen anything like it. And so it was so shocking to see a yeah. train on screen that they actually almost left the theater. And we're seeing a similar result in virtual reality. People really can't believe what it's capable of. And our goal is just to continue to provide that same excitement, level of excitement, uh, and that same experience to as many people as we can just to show them what it's capable of and help them start using it to reach their goals. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic uh, parallel. I can imagine that where the technology is today, it's probably a very different experience than what it used to be. And my last question for you, where can we learn more about the work that you're doing and about uh, soft skills in virtual reality learning? Uh, we'd love if you checked out our website at instage.io. You can also follow us on all the major social media platforms by uh, looking for our handle InStageVR. Uh, we're InStageVR on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And yeah, that's the best place to learn a bit about what we're doing. We're always updating those pages with more information about what we're currently doing this week, what our future goals are. And we're also sharing some of the stories and lessons that we've learned over the past few years uh, with the great companies and students we've had a chance to work with. And you should check out uh, Benoit's podcast as well. We're excited to be part of this today. <laughs> Well, thanks for being a part of it. I really enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot. I'm sure people listening will do as well. So I want to thank you on behalf of all of us for being with us today. Not a problem at all, Benoit. Again, thank you for inviting us. Um, really appreciate the opportunity. This was Abroad Future, a podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardivelli and I thank you for your time.